Good afternoon, seven investors. Coming to you from the last time, the last time from my dining room. My name is Daniel Brooks Klein. My friends call me Dan. You can call me Dan. I am very excited. The first vaccines are out. To to, to quote the great Bob Mould, I can see a little light. And we are going to talk a little bit about that today. I am being joined by Austin Lieberman, Manisha Sammy, Steve Symington. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the program. I'll start with you, Steve. Did you do anything fun on this miserable weekend? <laughs> I uh, I had Taco Sunday last night, so I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, but no, otherwise, pretty chill weekend, a little bit of shopping. Uh, and, d- d- uh, didn't that yeah. violate the Geneva Convention, which dictates Taco Tuesday? I'm not sure Taco well, Sunday. I have Taco Tuesday as well, but <laughs> that, yeah, it's... Tacos any day for me. Manisha, Sammy, anything fun this weekend? I have a pretty boring life here. So um, just read a bit and still trying to unpack my boxes here uh, after moving. So it's been a few months and it's still there. Austin Lieberman, anything good, anything enjoyable this weekend? I'm just trying to survive that last drink of sip of coffee. Luckily, it I didn't spit any of it out. I swallowed it. So, Manisha, you actually did something really exciting that we saw in our Slack channel. Uh, you did okay. some some uh, drawings, right, or paintings, uh, yeah. which yeah. we'll be announcing an Etsy uh, an Etsy link shortly for <laughs> Manisha's <laughs> art to be sold. No pressure, Manisha. Uh, okay. Uh, no, Dan, I didn't really do anything fun. Um, just there's a mellow mushroom that opened here. So I'll be, I'll be digging into mellow mushroom. Oh, mellow, mellow mushroom is great. Ours closed, but a really enjoyable pizza chain. So jump in if anybody has it. Manisha, I know you just started with The Mandalorian. I watched The Mandalorian on Friday. Steve or Austin, did you watch the latest episode? I haven't. I'm, I'm very sad about this, but I was watching Christmas movies with my family today. So been, I'm been, not. I've been breaking not, the rules and watching it with my five and three year old. Uh, go <laughs> ahead, Dan. I'm not going to break any any you know major revelations here. This isn't really a spoiler, but there is a scene where 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 the Mandalorian has to take off his mask, and that that's news, of course. But I won't tell you. He has to do it for facial recognition on an Imperial scanner. But there's no reason his face would be in the system. So essentially, the system for the facial recognition is the Mandalorian has a face. So if you have a face, you get in. That is not a great security system. But uh, we're going to talk about better stuff. Manisha, our top story today is uh, where do we stand on vaccines? And then we're going to go to Stephen Austin on what it means for the market. So Manisha, the good news is that our first people are getting vaccines. I saw a nurse in New York got vaccinated today. Uh, Can you tell us what the overall picture looks like uh, for vaccines? What's coming? What's here? Yeah, sure. Of course. So uh, for people who haven't heard the news, um, we well, we are finally dosing uh, Americans with a COVID-19 vaccine. So This was developed by Pfizer and BioNTech. It's based on mRNA technology. So this was uh, an emergency FDA approval. So not a full FDA approval, but we need the vaccine. Um, So it's it's. I'd like to say that it's the beginning, or it's the beginning to a possible end of COVID nineteen. But we'll see. Um, You know, just last week we had the highest uh, death toll number in a given day. Uh, It was over uh, three thousand. So we still have quite a way to go. But it's exciting. So over the next three days, um, we have a rollout of, well, there's 225 sites, um, so hospitals that will receive vaccines today, tomorrow, another 445, and by Wednesday, they should uh, finish up with the rest of the 66 sites. 
Um, so it's very exciting. Uh, essential workers, so people working in hospitals and nursing homes will be getting them first as they should, um, since they are saving so many lives. Um, but it's still early days and we don't have enough vaccines quite yet. mRNA is very difficult. Um, uh, it's a Well, mRNA is very difficult to work with because it's not very stable. That's why they were shipped in uh, dry ice with a GPS tag, uh, well, a GPS with a sensor, making sure that stays at minus 94. Otherwise, it might get ruined. So not everyone, um, well, the initial shipment will definitely not address uh, the entire American population. But even then, what they shipped out, I would predict that there's some percentage that doesn't make it. Um, now, the vaccine itself is quite effective in, uh, in clinical trials. Uh, we saw that 94% of people um, uh, were actually seeing results from the vaccine and now they're vaccinated and they're good. Um, but we are also seeing some safety issues. So people who have um, a severe uh, reaction or allergies to certain types of medications should not take it. Pregnant women should consult their doctors and anyone under the age of 16 can't have the vaccine yet. Um, so, but that's so okay. Let me, let me jump in here. Mm -hmm. So there's about 100 million doses of this particular vaccine, uh, which is enough to inoculate 50 million people. I don't know how many Americans are under 18, but there's, I think, 360 million Americans. How far off are we from it being vaccines for people who want them? And what percentage of, of people need to be vaccinated mm -hmm. for it to sort of be you know, safe for people who can't get vaccinated for some reason or won't uh, to go outside, to have sort of a normal existence? Sure. So we already have a number of uh, Americans who already have had the uh, uh, had COVID-19 and they're better. So they already have immunity. Um, so they probably will not be immunized, uh, immunized kind of in the first few cohorts. Um, it's hard to say percentage wise exactly what you would need. Um, I would say even if 50 to 60 percent of Americans were vaccinated, um, that should definitely help and slow down uh the rate at which uh, people are being diagnosed with COVID-19. And then the other great thing is um, next week, we should hear back uh, from the FDA on Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine as well. So that's pretty soon. Um, and then there's two other drugs coming. Well, we'll see. Um, they're, they're, they entered phase two trial, so maybe early 2021. So, I mean, if everyone wanted a vaccine, they should be able to get it by end of, Q1, I would predict, um, of 2021. Uh, Manisha, let me ask one more question. There's also the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Uh, that's in its third phase trial. That's a single-dose vaccine. Is that kind of a game-changer if, uh, if it gets approved? Yes. And, um, well, for the, the reason for the J&J &J vaccine uh, and the reason why it's a game-changer is Right now you have two doses, so you have to wait a month before it actually kicks in. So if people get their vaccine and decide, okay, tomorrow I'm, go I'm gonna take a cruise, that's not gonna cut it. Um, so that is a great point. Um, and then we also have Arcturus as a potential single dose uh, vaccine. So I think it helps um, because a lot of people are, are not compliant with getting two doses. My first cruise is booked for April. I am somewhat optimistic that will actually happen. Manisha, I've got one more technical question for you. And, and everyone, feel free. This is an interactive show. So no matter where you're watching this, uh, get your comments in. We'd, we'd be happy to take them and talk to you. 
Is there a standard for if you've had it for the test you take to see what your level of immunity is where you can like it counts as being vaccinated? Is that standard been set anywhere? I don't I mean, as far as I know, um, I'm not aware of it, but I think you can just, you know, you go into uh, a, a clinic and you get your titers checked. They do kind of a, it's a blood test. Um, they see kind of the T cell body kind of, um, are you actually producing enough antibodies? So if you were to be um, infected, uh, are you effectively uh, immune? So I don't know per se kind of which company is providing those tests but I'm sure they're out there at the clinics and they're working on it. I, I'm only asking because it does seem like things like cruises and, and, and air travel and entry into other countries is going to be dependent on showing you've taken a vaccine or showing you have enough of those antibodies. But let's move on to the impact on the market. Austin, is there any? does this change anything for you uh, if, let's say, we can be back to normal in, say, April or May? Uh, no. <laughs> this could be a boring answer, and it's what I always say, but... My the way that I've been successful as an investor and the type of companies I'm going to continue recommending to our subscribers at Seven Investing are ones that I believe will be successful for years to come. The most innovative, mostly technology companies in the world that have reliable revenue streams. They're constantly innovating products, great management, and then recurring revenue, which helps them uh, when the next unexpected thing happens to the U.S. or global economy. Because you know. We're going to get over this, but there's always something that's going to happen, right? And I, I just want to continue owning the best businesses. And then uh, one thing I watch out for too, Dan, is just um, businesses that don't require a lot of capital expenditures to continue running. So if you think about like um, commodities and, and oil producers, they, they're constantly having to reinvest and open up new refineries. That's a lot of capital expenditures. Software companies can can make a new uh, release, a new or sell a new license, and it costs them literally zero to do. So just I'm continuing as normal, Dan. I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> uh, here's the thing. The murder hornets have been awfully quiet for a while. That makes me nervous. I feel like they're learning to drive. They're learning how to get disguised. It, 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 is, it is not a good situation. Uh, Steve, same thoughts for you. Is there anything uh, you're excited about in the investing world for when this pandemic is over? Uh, personally, not particularly. Like Austin, this really doesn't change anything for me. Uh, I've been trying to find businesses that will succeed no matter what, and uh, preferably businesses whose growth stories have been accelerated by the pandemic. That helps and uh, and potentially underappreciated uh, that acceleration by the market. So it uh, really doesn't change a lot for me. I expect we'll see some volatility. Uh, we kind of um, seems like every time there is uh, sort of news that the economy might reopen, um, or at least, you know, be back to a semblance of its full strength. Uh, we get sort of this uh, weird rotation trade where you have kind of a pivot uh, out of the uh, so-called stay-at-home stocks and toward the economic reopening stocks. But I think it all evens out in the end. And uh, I'm just going to continue investing as I always have and, uh, and continue making stock picks for our subscribers as we always do. And uh, Steve, these are such boring answers. We, you and I don't have hot <laughs> stock tips for no, the next it, it 30 is. minutes of the coronavirus trade. But, but he, here's, here's what's awesome about what we do at 7investing. We have our eye on the long-term prize. We're not telling you, look, how many people have asked, oh, should I buy Pfizer? Should I buy Moderna? Not because of the vaccine. Now, if you look at those companies and you say, wow, the drugs in their pipeline are awesome. I believe in five, 10 years, even with these heightened valuations, these are great buys. 
well, then maybe buy shares of those companies. But I don't think too many people believe that. Um, and at Seven Investing, we're not telling you how to chase tomorrow. So like Netflix shares might go down at, at the point where it looks like we're going to see normal. Here's the reality. What percentage of people do you think are going to cancel Netflix because they can go out a little bit more? Netflix is still a great service, even if you you know are allowed to go to the movies or go out and do fun things. You know, the one investing change I've made is I feel pretty confident that the cruise lines aren't going to go bankrupt. I own a very small amount of Carnival Cruise Lines and Royal Caribbean. Those were great businesses before the pandemic. Manisha, I'm going to throw one question to you, and you can answer it theoretically. I know taking the vaccine, I'll tell you, I'm going to take the vaccine. Uh, but Vishal asks, if you were going to take the vaccine, is there one specifically that, that seems better to you than the others? Uh, again, you can speak sort of with your knowledge. It doesn't have to be your personal, you know, what you're actually going to do. Sure. So this is the first time that there has been uh, any sort of approved mRNA-based therapy. Um, I know it's in an emergency basis. So we don't know the long-term effects um, or the durability of, I mean, the durability given the science, um, it should hold. Uh, these scientists are not just saying, okay, well, we need it. So let's approve it just because we need something out. Um, they do care about safety. And what we're seeing is that for the large part, it is safe. Now, that is why they caution against, um, you know, if you have a severe autoimmune um, issue, uh, you could you could have, um, you know, inflammation and that could be a problem. Uh, so they're saying you should not get it if you're, you know, part of that group. Um, I would say that uh, there is AstraZeneca. Um, so they're working on a COVID-19 vaccine as well. Um, they had a few mishaps in their trial. So there's, it's a little prolonged, but their methodology of doing um, or creating vaccines has been tried and true. Um, so, I mean, this is new, it's novel, but they would not have approved this um, if they were actually concerned about safety. Thank you for that. It is now time for what we're watching. Steve, you let us all know there was a SpaceX launch this <laughs> weekend, and and I tuned in, and uh, and it blew up. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm a little, I, I'm of a generation that has been through two space shuttle explosions. The first question I asked was, "Oh my God, are there people on it?" There were not. But yeah. this explosion, it's not necessarily a bad thing for SpaceX, well, right? And uh, and actually, uh, I'm going to shift gears uh, here to the Virgin Galactic uh, mission as well. Uh, it's. I, Part of me gets all uh, goofy. I'm sure other people, when you look at the Virgin Galactic ticker SPCE, the uh, same thing happens to me, yeah. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but by, by the way, SPCE, I always assume you're talking about McCormick because that yeah. should have been their That's ticker, nice. uh, but yes. but it is but it is not. Uh, and let me let me let me mention before you go in. This is of course what we're watching, where everybody brings their own story they'd like to talk about, Steve. Yes. So um, actually, there's a couple things that happened over the last few days. Uh, and Virgin Galactic actually had a bit of a misfire this weekend. Shares are falling pretty hard today because um, really uh, the they, they had a test launch this weekend that technically failed. And uh, after what, what happens is they, they launch a, a mothership that essentially detaches a smaller ship that flies up into space. And uh, the spaceship's onboard computer that monitors the rocket lost connection and uh, a, a trigger to fail safe that intentionally halted ignition of the rocket motor and the pilots basically flew back to the spaceport and landed safely. And uh, 
I guess personally, you know, you see the stock falling really hard right now, but uh, personally, I am encouraged uh, by the successful fail tr- safe trigger. Um, <laughs> really, uh, the utmost safety of everybody on board is paramount in these cases. And I'd be much more concerned about the company if this was a catastrophic failure and that fail safe itself failed. But, uh, you know, I, I think it does help, though, that only uh, a day or two earlier, we just witnessed the SpaceX <laughs> successful crash. Uh, they said, you know, technically, yeah, of course, you all watched our, our Starship prototype blow up a couple days earlier. Uh, but that was an unmanned mission by a different company. And everybody kind of realized like, OK, these are tests. These are early stages. And um, I actually think SpaceX did Virgin, Virgin Galactic a favor uh, in this case, uh, because Virgin Galactic basically demonstrated that, OK, in any scenario, we have a bunch of fail safes in place. If anything goes wrong, we abort this. Everyone lands safely and you may not make it to space. And to be clear, they do intend to repeat this test. So we'll see that coming back soon. And I think that's uh, part of the reason why shares aren't down more right now, because um, a lot of people were really nervous about what was going to happen to Virgin Galactic stock today because of the technically failed mission. Uh, but I think it's it's in good shape. And uh, actually, this was sort of a, a silver lining is that they successfully demonstrated that their fail safes work and uh, and it should only reinforce uh, the safety of these missions for a company that is planning on launching a commercial space flight program uh, that so so, so let, let me jump in here Steve no they're not <laughs> they're they're planning on launching a 17 minute low orbit flight where you're yes. weightless for like 45 seconds I'm gonna ask this to you and to Austin that can't possibly be their real business, right? That's just the first step towards faster travel on, you know, from say like New York to, to Tokyo and the hotel on the moon or the space station you visit. They can't possibly think that this like novelty $300,000 ride is going to be their business. Steve, I'll give you the first word there. Some, some pretty ambitious uh, plans they have in place here. And no, you know, that's not their long-term goal, obviously. You know, they're planning on on these missions. And to be clear, there's a lot of people who are willing to pay for that little short, uh, you know, trip into low orbit to be able to see Earth from that perspective that nobody else has. And yeah, over the long term, they're going to make this uh, something, you know, they're looking at intercontinental travel. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Austin, uh, but these are sorts of things where if they ramp this, it could be a massive revenue opportunity and uh, and really disrupt kind of the way we think about uh, long distance travel and the time it takes to do these things. So uh, really early stage, you know, pre-revenue uh, that's, you know, a lot of people don't realize how early on, uh, we are in, in Virgin Galactic's plans, but, uh, over the long term, I think this is a, a fine step in the right direction. And we're going to have some hiccups as they go through these test flights. Austin, I'll throw to you in a second here, but I love the fact that, uh, not from this house, but from our, our house in Davenport, Florida, near Disney, I can see some of these Florida based launches and I can also regularly see hot air balloons. So that is basically the past and the future of air travel all above my head. Austin, I'll, I'll give you the closing word here. Yeah. Uh, really just echoing. So Dan, your thoughts, uh, no, that's not their business model. Right. And, and I hate, uh, calling companies the, the Tesla of this or the Amazon of that, but I look for pattern recognition and traits of successful companies in, in companies that I think will be successful in the future. Virgin Galactic has a lot of traits uh, of Tesla where Tesla came out with their premium, way expensive Roadster first. They gained interest, gained pre-orders, and then have slowly worked their way uh, down to lower cost, more economical vehicles. 
That's exactly the type of model that Virgin Galactic is, is going to follow with these space flights. And then in addition to, we'll call it recreational space travel, I think there's a ton of opportunity for Virgin Galactic. They build their own spaceships. They're collecting a ton of data on how to take off, like Steve said, uh, with a mothership carrying a rocket horizontally, just like an airplane, a, a commercial airplane, and then get up to 40,000 feet, release that rocket, and then hopefully... Uh, the rocket ignites, which is what did not happen uh, during this past test flight, and then they can resume their mission. So if you think about the use cases for that, we could launch satellites much more economically than using rockets. We could do hypersonic space travel, all kinds of different stuff. And they could they also have a ton of data, so they could maybe um, uh, uh, contract their either build mechanisms or, or spacecraft for other people or, or contract out their process or whatever ton of optionality and just like steve said on the company and we sent out a we're sending out a premium update to our our paid subscribers about um virgin galactic in the in the launch this week but uh, i'm more bullish than ever because i believe that what they've showed with this failed launch where everybody landed safely uh, is the future of of commercial space travel because if you take off vertically in a rocket and the engine fails or doesn't ignite, everybody on board dies. Uh, and now they safely landed back at the spaceport, um, which has really never been able to be be done before uh, with a with a a failure of that type. And it wasn't all that happened was the computer that was supposed to monitor the the rocket engine lost connection, and like Steve said, as a fail safe. Uh, it didn't allow that engine to ignite because um, that could be dangerous. And so as a, as a failsafe, it just didn't ignite and they were able to land. So they'll figure it out. So, so two lessons, don't use Verizon to connect your, uh, your important failsafe. Uh, and, and two, I'm going to declare them the Chipotle of space travel makes absolutely no sense. Uh, but people love those sort of comparisons before we get to Austin's what we're watching, uh, Steve, on Friday, we have a marathon day, but we do something that's really unique to 7investing. We right. have not only our call with new new members, that's anyone who joined us in the past couple of months, they get invited to a call with all seven of us, and we kind of walk you through the service. Uh, it's really fun to do. People can ask us questions. And then after that, we have an all-members call. So any member can come in, and yeah. they can ask us the most complicated question or the easiest question. Of course, we can't give individual investing advice, but we can give our opinion. Steve, any more thoughts on these calls? I know you like doing them too. Yeah, so like, uh, and, and they're pretty fun uh, to go through. Um, any seven investing subscribers, paying subscribers will soon receive an invitation to, the, like you said, two calls, one for new subscribers to kind of walk you through the service, answer any questions you have, and then another call for uh, both new and existing subscribers where you can hop in. We talk about uh, some updates to companies that we're watching, uh, the companies among our previous recommendations that are most compelling to us right now, and we answer your questions in real time as we go, uh, only for paying subscribers, but uh, they're a lot of fun, and uh, we do those on the third Friday of every month and keep your eyes peeled, subscribers, for that link. And if uh, if you haven't subscribed yet, you can, 7investing.com forward slash subscribe. And uh, looking forward to it on Friday morning. We welcome everyone in. One of the best things about this service is that we're personal. You can talk to us. Hey, you're not members, some of you watching, and we respond to you on Twitter. That is the difference here at 7investing. But Austin, you didn't give me a lot to work on. Your topic today is age of data. Why don't you explain yeah. And uh, there, so I shared a tweet 
um, in our in our little planning document from our friend Muji, uh, who's been on our podcast multiple times. Super smart writer. He's at H H H Hyper Growth. So three H's and then Hyper Growth on Twitter. Just look for Muji. Search Muji. I don't know why he made that re- as really impossible. <laughs> Makes it hard H- to find. Three H's and then Yiper Growth. There's not a yeah. fourth H. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. That's what I was. Mess- I was messing up, Dan. You try to save me. Anyways. Uh, AWS reInvent is going on for the next like three weeks and um, it's free to register. You can attend. It's all virtual, which is amazing. Uh, I've been, I've been watching it, but Muji called this out as well. Um, they, they basically shared a slide that says more data is created every hour today than an entire year, 20 years ago. And then additionally, more data will be created in the next three years than in the prior 30 years combined. So, uh, you know, we know that the world is transitioning to cloud infrastructure and things like that. There's a huge opportunity. What are we going to do with all this data? How do we uh, make it usable? How do we store it? How do we secure it? There's probably trillions of dollars that are going to be made uh, by companies in the data realm, right? And so I'm just thinking about the companies that are going to benefit from that. We've seen Snowflake in the IPO. I mean, that's a pretty obvious winner. I'm personally not interested in owning Snowflake. I don't care how how high it goes right now. I'm not interested in owning it because the company's too large. And I believe and people, there's going to shock people. It's too expensive right now. Uh, not the dollar value of the shares, but the valuation of it. Um, so I do believe in valuation sometimes. Uh, so anyways, <laughs> the types of companies that I'm really interested that I think will benefit from the decade long data explosion trend that we're about to see is Alteryx, which is a data analytics platform. The ticker is uh, AYX. That's about an $8 billion market cap compared to Snowflake, which is, I don't know, $120 billion now. Um, and then Pure Storage, which is a $6 billion market cap company. And Pure Storage is uh, ticker is PSTG. It's especially interesting to me, and I'm, I'm actually digging in to do more research. I, I owned the company a while ago. Um, it's It's been, it kind of hasn't done much for the past two years. Uh, but they have recently expanded their, it's called Pure as a Service Offerings to deliver industry-first transparency. And basically what that is without going into super detail is it allows people to um, order and manage uh, data capacity and visibility and insights and analytics into uh, the data in a, um, a hybrid cloud platform. So if they have servers on-premise or at their location or in the cloud, they can use Pure Storage's products to kind of manage that data, store that data, and then uh, just make sure that everything is performing properly uh, without um, without having to completely rely on somebody like AWS or Google Cloud Platform or Microsoft Azure to provide all of these services to them. So it de-risks their relationship with some of their their big cloud and data partners. So Pure Storage is a company I'm, I'm learning more about. Um, and then just the bigger trend of, of data over the next decade, really. And Austin, let me jump in, because uh, NC Lobo shares that Pure Storage is at a 52-week high. I'll take his word for it or her word for it. I didn't check that. But just because something's at a 52-week high, that doesn't necessarily mean you should stay away from it. Uh, companies on the way up hit new 52-week highs all the time. Thoughts there? Hundred percent, Dan. You got it. You nailed it. Um, that I would much rather own a company that is executing and doing well than one that I'm hoping is going to turn around. In almost every case, there's obviously exceptions there. 
Manisha, we are going to move on to you. This is an exciting one. Uh, AstraZeneca has agreed to a $39 billion take on of Alexian Pharmaceuticals. Um, first, before we talk valuation, why don't you tell me a little bit about sort of what they're buying and what this brings together? Sure. So AstraZeneca, you know, they're also working on uh, a COVID-19 vaccine, uh, but generally they're, they're focused on uh, indications like diabetes or respiratory issues. Um, and now Alexion, their pipeline, if you look at it, it's mostly based on oncology. So oncology is a huge number. I would be completely surprised if not one of us knew someone who survived cancer or had um, a friend who knew someone had cancer. Um, it, it's just so common. So one of the things that we're seeing um, that's happening right now is that a lot of these large companies like AstraZeneca, they patent cliffs are looming. So they're, one of their largest drugs is Crestor um, and it's for diabetes. Um, so basically what I'm trying to say here is once, there's, once their patent ends, anyone can come right in and create generics. So then they, kind of the revenue that they're generating would plummet. Um, so they need a growth story. So that's why you have these larger companies uh, acquiring, you know, slightly smaller companies. Um, but I will note that this is the largest biotech uh, M&A that we've seen. So they're paying a 45% premium. Does that scare you? Does it seem like a good deal? You know, I, when I was reading through it, um, I did read a lot of people say, you know, Oh man, this that's way overpriced. But my take is that if you're looking at the oncology market, we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars. Um, right now, you know, AstraZeneca has not even, you know, they're not even close to 40 billion. That there's a huge market opportunity. So that's what they're trying to buy into and kind of have a land grab. Uh, and so their goal is uh, by 2023 uh, to surpass $40 billion in revenue. And this is what's going to take them there. In my opinion, I, I think, you know, investors, uh, Alexion investors could have asked for more. So I don't always share what we're watching, but I wanted to tell a little bit of a personal story. People ask me all the time, what makes me not invest in a company? And one of my number one trades is a company that doesn't treat customers well, that just has customer unfriendly experiences. And one that comes up a lot uh, is people like AT&T. It's a dividend paying company. It has a lot of recurring revenue. It, it's on a lot of levels, a good business. Uh, but here's why I won't own AT&T. They own DirecTV. We have DirecTV in our building uh, because that's the cable provider. And we have some upgraded things. So I had to cancel my service because we're moving. So I call them up and you can't cancel online. And that's already unfriendly. I call them up and I said, I'd like to cancel my service. And just so you know, so you don't have to go through the script, I'm moving to a new complex that has one of your competitors and it's included in my HOA. So there is no opportunity to talk me into staying because it's simply not an option. I'm not allowed to put a dish on and there is already cable there. And they 11 times in the next 10 minutes it took me to cancel, tried to sell me again on their service. That is not a company you want to own. That is a company that is locked into a terrible way of doing business. That's not my only criteria, but it is one that is an absolute red flag. And it plays nicely into what we're going to do in the home stretch. Uh, we're going to talk with the team here about where they look for investing ideas. I know it's easy for me. If I find myself starting to use something, starting to see something every day, I look to see if it's publicly traded. Uh, and if it is, then I start digging in more. But I know the three of you have a much better process than I do. Let's start with Austin. Austin, you brought this topic up, so you get to go first. 
Dan, I, I don't, I would not call my topic better or my way better than <laughs> yours at all. Cause sometimes I feel like I'm just like a scrambling cat trying to grab on as I fall out of a tree. Uh, <laughs> I, I I look all over the place, right? Um, I'm I'm pretty active on Twitter. I try to stay away from some of the stuff that's like heavily talked about there because sometimes that can potentially get bubbly. Um, but I also look for reports from publications that I respect or even companies. A great report every year that I look at for possible investment ideas is Okta's Business at Work report. They are I don't even know why their customers allow them to do this, but they're able to. Um, aggregate all of this this data from the apps that are used by Okta's customers and see how fast these applications are growing inside their customer base. But another one that I've looked at for uh, multiple years is the Deloitte Fast 500 uh, technology list. And every year, Deloitte, which is a technology consulting firm, uh, firm releases a list of the 500 fastest growing companies in America. And I think they use the past three years growth rate. Uh, it includes private and public companies. Um, it, it can either be from data that they've found or companies that have um, applied, but then they have to provide the, the data and show that it's based off revenue growth. Um, every year I comb through that list and look for public and private companies that, that I want to watch. It's, it's 500 um, companies. So uh, real quick, I, I just take out all the companies that I know I'm not um, smart in, which is like anything pharma related. I will rely on Manisha and Max for that type of information. So I try to stick to companies that I'm kind of in my uh, zone of competency. And then I just look for um, metrics that matter to me, revenue growth, recurring revenue, gross margins, things like that try to get that down to about a list of 10, 15 companies. And then that's kind of my study base of companies for the next couple of months uh, to, to try to study new opportunities. So that's one way, the Deloitte Fast 500. Uh, on Twitter, I put out a tweet about it where we're trying to do some kind of community research on it. So just check out my Twitter feed and um, participate in, in the little uh, thread that we've got going. I've, I just asked people to, to look at that list and share your favorite companies in there. And then uh, we'll, see, we'll see where that goes. I also use uh, a bit of the social media, like something like uh, Culver's, which I don't think is publicly traded. The first time I went there, I mentioned it to a, a former colleague and I, ha I happened to be in the office and a bunch of people were like waxing poetic about this brand. So there was clearly some, you know, really good feeling for it. And that to me is like, okay, I should look up this company, see if it's public. I think in that case it wasn't. Uh, but uh, Manisha, you're not going to stumble upon biotech companies in your everyday life. You're not going to be like, you know, taking a walk and all of a sudden, like you walk by like some company company doing innovative research. How do you find companies? I don't know, Dan. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say that I, my life is biotech. Um, I, I, I love it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to your question, um, I, I don't like to look at what companies are doing now. I mean, that's not innovative. Um, it's more like where is healthcare going to go in five to 10 years? Where are the pain points? Uh, so the way I do that is, well, if I'm in a lab, right now, um, what are scientists complaining about? What's slowing them down? What costs too much? Um, what's, you know, is, is it a data issue? It, are, are they just not getting accurate results? Um, and then I just read a ton of uh, peer, uh, peer reviewed journals. So I go to look at, um, you know, there, so there's nature and a bunch of other academic sources where scientists in academia um, this is kind of the newest research that they're doing. And that and kind of the volume of where the research is, it, it kind of tells you 
kind of where the interest is and what's developing and bubbling up there. And then my next step is, okay, well, what private companies are in the biotech healthcare space um, that VCs are looking at? Because, I mean, I, I'm thinking, you know, if there are, you know, a bunch of um, VC firms that are trying to find, you know, five or six different companies that are based on, you know, next generation liquid biopsies, and sure, maybe, maybe that's an area or say DNA synthesis, um, and then kind of reconfirming, you know, with where therapeutics companies are or diagnostic companies are right now, and seeing kind of, okay, which companies fit in that mold, and I kind of use a funnel. So that's the area I'll look at. And then the last thing uh, you always have to think about is healthcare is not just, you know, science anymore, or bi uh, biology, there's the convergence of technologies. How does AI play into this? Um, Austin was talking about peer storage. And I'm thinking, whoa, that's going to be that's going to become huge in the healthcare space, analytics, actually utilizing the massive amounts of uh, genome sequencing data we have. That's a great area as well that would fit in well. So, I mean, that's my approach. Um, if, is it correct? I don't know, but I, that's the approach I like to uh, take. So you're watching Seven Investing now, and we are talking where we get our investing ideas. And I'll point out that it's okay to take an idea from the paid investment service uh, that you subscribe to. And that, of course, would be Seven Investing. There's, there's a couple others out there, but I buy shares of companies that Max and Manisha recommend. And do I understand what they do? Absolutely not. But it's kind of a counter to my investing style that I've picked the two of them because they're experts in an area that I could not become an expert in. You literally have to go to school to get the level of expertise they have. So I make bets each month on, uh, on one of their picks. Steve, I assume you're doing it uh, by mascot or by commercial jingle. How are you picking uh, which companies you want to invest in? <laughs> no, the, uh, uh, I, I, maintain a, a watch list on uh, Y charts. Actually, uh, they have a nice little feature on their dashboard where you can uh, create watch lists of stocks. And, and uh, at any given point, about 100 different companies will occupy that list. If it is remotely interesting, I will add it for further research and say, okay, it's time to dig in here. And, uh, and really, um, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to look at kind of world changing uh, trends and tales that uh, that are that are really going to change the way that we do things, and uh, and I try and identify the companies that will benefit the most. Uh, but by maintaining this watch list, you know, just anytime I see a company on on you know FinTwit uh, or you know just reading an article about anything, I'll add its ticker to it, and I'll just keep a, a passive eye on it. And uh, occasionally, you'll, you'll see big moves that uh, represent, you know, sometimes fantastic opportunities to step in, or, you know, you'll see a company that's rallying really hard and you realize, okay, it's still a heck of a lot smaller than its addressable market. And I think it's going to grab a significant chunk of that over the long term, uh, while taking market share from competitors. Uh, you know, I just maintain that list and, uh, it's constant research. Uh, so I, I spend most of my day reading, um, you know, once once I'm interested in a company uh, really piques my interest, uh, then uh, I'll subscribe to its uh, investor relations, you know, notifications, emails, uh, any new SEC filings. Uh, one of the best ways to read through it is to uh, is to you know read through uh, their last annual report, uh, get to know the company better. Uh, those 10K filings with the SEC are fantastic places uh, as kind of a next step for me. Uh, once I really want to dig in, because uh, in those SEC filings, it's not exactly like a press release. They are trying to say this is what's great about our company, but they also have to outline their risks 
and uh, and things, you know, that's where they have to be really truthful uh, without spin uh, because they will get nailed if uh, if they're not in those annual filings. So uh, something to keep an eye on there. So we're going to take a comment from Silver Trap in a second, but I, I just wanted to, to jump in and say research. So every month I pick a company that I'm just going to dig into it, one that I think I like. And sometimes you look at the finances or the leadership and you go, okay, I don't like this. I'm a customer. I don't want to own the stock. But my recommendation next month, my my January, Jesus, we're already up to January. My January <laughs> recommendation is going to be a company that I researched from scratch that I previously did not particularly like. And when I dug into it, I realized that this was not what I thought the company was. And the the potential for growth is much bigger than what I expected. Uh, but Silver Trap asks, do you guys give a list of best buys from your previous recommendations? So yes and no. We're moving towards having a, uh, let's call it a blog. That's a terrible word for it, but there'll be a private facing and public facing parts of the blog where we might talk about, hey, of my picks, this is the one I'm really still the most excited about. But during our members only call, and we're doing that on Friday, you could ask Austin, Steve, Manisha, Max, me, uh, Simon, uh, Matt, anybody on the team, you could ask us, hey, this pick you made a few months ago, do you still feel really strongly about it? Because it's gone up by 60%. You know, Is this still a good entry point? You can ask that of us, and we are happy to answer. That is one of the benefits of being a member. We are heading to the end. It is time to hit our finisher. Uh, Sam Bailey, if you could uh, share the graphic, we appreciate it. This was kind of a silly one. Uh, which restaurant stock are you most excited about? Uh, in in my case, I could make an argument for any of these. I am personally most excited about Starbucks. I think they have a massive uh, opportunity in China, and then I think they have a massive opportunity with premium. Manisha, Sammy, uh, I know you're not necessarily invested in this space, but uh, does one of these speak to you? Oh, Chipotle all the way. Um, I, I, I feel like it's like it sounds healthier than the others, even though I'm sure it's not, but it's amazing. Who doesn't like so Manisha, Mexican let me ask the question, because there's one Achilles heel for Chipotle for me. Why can't they heat up my taco? Why does everything have to be ice cold? If I actually prefer <laughs> delivered Chipotle, even though it doesn't travel that well, because you can throw it in the microwave for 10 seconds and melt the cheese. I, I feel like they could get like the little things that Quiznos used to have. In fact, I'm sure they could buy them from yeah. the ghost of Quiznos where you put them through. Uh, it's silly, and, and I, I won't belabor it. Uh, Austin Lieberman, your thoughts here. Uh, you know, Dan, you set yourself up for this one, but I'm going Virgin Galactic because it's the <laughs> Chipotle of the space industry. Uh, and, and you know, I, I like Shake Shack better better than all those companies. So I'm going uh, Virgin Galactic. Really, I, I find Shake Shack, Shack uh, overpriced and kind of nothing special. But every single time I'm at the MGM near uh, the headquarters for the former company we worked at, at around midnight, a shake from Shake Shack seems like a good idea, and it's always touch and go whether we go for. It. There you go, Steve Simonton. Your thoughts here? Uh, I think the current state of things, uh, I'd pick Starbucks from this list. Uh, I think they handled the uh, pandemic admirably. Uh, they've treated their customers and employees exceptionally well, uh, just like they always do. I guess I, I didn't expect anything less from them. Um, we just got a memo uh, that um, news of a memo where they're they're raising the minimum wage for all employees to 15 bucks an hour uh, pretty soon. And, uh, you know, it, it's yeah, they're just a, an amazing business with uh, more significant growth growth potential than I think a lot of people realize. So uh, I'd, I'd go Starbucks here, but uh, all all decent stocks on this list. 
Tommy Midnight, I can see your comments. Uh, so if you can get your question in in the next few seconds, we'll try to answer it. But Steve, there's a comment here you wanted to share. So I'll give you the honor of doing that. Huh. Uh, Tech Clarion says, guys, go and subscribe to 7investing. My yearly subscription worth what I got within the first month uh, and one, it, uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. <laughs> you know, I, I love <laughs> comments like that because, um, you know, you hear people say, you know what, this is, why are you only charging this? Uh, it's paid for itself so many times over and, uh, thank you for that. And, uh, we, we love hearing feedback from happy subscribers. And remember, we are playing the long-term investing game. So yes, uh, our scorecard is really impressive and, and doing really well for the, uh, what have we been around, Steve? 10 months, 11 months, something like that? Uh, we launched on March 1st and uh, did not intend to to line that up with uh, <laughs> with the market's crash. But yeah, so um, it's, it's been so in a, quite a ride so far. In pandemic time, it's like 40 years. But <laughs> oftentimes when we pick a stock, we've, we've, we've done well in that. Uh, one of the stocks I picked really went up because my thesis played out, but it played out way faster than I expected. So it's not like we're recommending a stock going, oh, that's going to go up 50% tomorrow. That's not how it works. We are looking at a three-year, a five-year horizon. We're long-term investors, and we believe in that, and we hope you come along for the ride. But uh, wow, this has been an exciting show. No technical problems. Last show from my dining room table. Wednesday's show going to be from my co-work. Friday's show, hopefully, from my new office in my new condo. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us at info at seveninvesting.com. That's usually Steve Symington who's answering, but he can ask me questions. We're, we're all on Slack a stunning amount of time talking to each other. I think uh, Saturday night at like 1030, we were all still on Slack talking to each other. So you know the camaraderie you see here is real. And of course, you can reach out at 7investing on Twitter. So Tommy Midnight, who did not get his question in on time, uh, if it's something we can answer, we'll be happy to answer it on Twitter at 7investing. For Manisha, for Steve, for Austin, I'm Dan Klein. We're going to be back Wednesday. Thank you for watching. that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.